All right, let's pray. God, we're delighted that you were good and gracious, God. You took us out of slavery where we would work seven days a week. You brought us in and freed us from our sins and freed us to obey you. And you are a good and gracious king and master. You have given us six days to work and one day that we may rest in you. Thank you for the Sabbath and the Sabbath rest. Thank you for the opportunity to learn more about you, to gather together with saints from around the world and to worship you. Bless our time together in Sunday school as we study together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think, as if I remember as a little child, um, you start to learn memory verses in Sunday school and uh, your parents are always teaching you various things. And I think one of the first um, Bible verses as, as I was disciplined, and I needed much discipline as a child, was honor your father and mother, right? Your days and the promise that will be long in the land that you live. And then pretty soon it was to try to memorize the whole Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And I remember asking um, my pastor why that was so important, because it seemed like there was a lot of different um, laws and moral truisms throughout all of scripture. And he made it clear to me that uh, these were um, the Ten Commandments that were the root and the basis, the foundation for all of God and reflected his character. And he was teaching us how to live as free men um, after slavery. And so we've been going through the Westminster um, standards, larger and shorter catechism and the confession. And for the first part, we studied who God is and how we know God. And then uh, we got to the, the Decalogue, and that is what is our response to God that saved us from our sins. So this morning, we are on uh, Westminster Larger Catechism 111 through 121, commonly known as the Third and Fourth Commandment. Uh, you can find those, the Decalogue, in two places in Scripture. Audience participation, where do we first see it? Exodus 20. And what happened? God saves his people, then he tells them how they should live. Right? He saves us, then he tells us how we should live. And then what happens to that first generation? Were they faithful? Nope. They struggled. They saw, I mean, they were saved, right? They put the blood on the doorpost. They, they were saved so many times, right? Um, they, they leave Israel, and they, they leave with, I mean, the, the bounty of Egypt, right? It's not just go. It's here's the jewelry. Here's, here's all of our wealth. Take it with us, right? So they're saved. They see the power of God. They see the miracles. They see the plagues. They see Moses. They see all this stuff. And then as they're going, they complain, right? And they see Egypt chasing them, and they see the Red Sea right there. And then do they trust God more? No, they doubt. And then God saves them again. God writes the best stories. When you think there's no hope, God delivers. He always writes the best stories. Then they wander out in the, in the desert, and they complain, and God provides for them, and God provides for them, you know, manna, and all these sort of things, right? But then 
um, they have to die in the desert, right? And then the, after that, the 40 years has passed, and then they come to enter the promised land again, and then God repeats the Decalogue. And where do we find that? Deuteronomy 5. You guys are right on top of it. All right. So the last Sunday we did the first two commandments. And this Sunday we're going to do the third and the fourth commandment. Um, and so I'll read uh, uh, what the Westminster Larger Catechism says. Uh, the question is, what... Oops. I'm back on the first. Got to scroll ahead here. What is the third commandment? The third commandment is, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What's the common way we, we heard that and memorized it? Misuse, take his name in vain. That's exactly right. Take his name in vain. And so what does it mean to take the name of the Lord your God in vain or to misuse God's name in vain? What's the popular understanding that's out there? Well, the minute you hear somebody swear, right? Um, a swear is a bad word because you got swear, cursing, and vulgar words, and they're all, they're all a little different. But you hear people... Um, take the name of God in vain. And then oftentimes when they don't use God, then they'll use gosh or golly or gee whiz or whatever, substitutes um, for God. And it's no different than, I remember um, the first time I, I heard as a little child the word shit. And I'm like, ooh, is that a good word or a bad word? And my mom kind of reeled back, but then she was fond of saying, oh, poo, right? And, and, and it's just a different version, right? Or manure, right? I mean, all the different languages that we have, and I call that vulgar language. I don't call that at all uh, taking the Lord's name in vain or misusing the Lord's name. Um, it's not befitting of children of the king to use that sort of language, and we are all children of the king. But what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? Is it just simply you can't say, God darn it, right? Or, oh, my God. These are expressions we hear, and we hear those in the church all the time. Is that what it means? All right, you're right. It doesn't mean just that. It doesn't mean just that. Because oftentimes those words are said just with careless, without thought. I mean, they just come out, come out. And that's not an excuse for it at all. We should be careful about what we say and when we say but what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? It's that we're not lifting it up. We're not elevating it. We're not giving him the reverence that's due him, right? Literally, when we become Christians, right, what does it mean? We take the name of Christ. When Christians were used in the scripture, was it a compliment or was it a pejorative comment? It's pejorative, those Christians over there. They're taking the name of, you know, Christ. We never know whose name is written in the book of life, right? We've talked about that many times. And pastorally, as shepherds, we go by what somebody says, right? And oftentimes, there's a difference between words and deeds. We bear the name of Christ, right? We lift him up. 
but do our actions always reflect that? What are, we, what are we doing with our deeds, our actions? Are we taking the name of the Lord our God in vain? Are we misusing it? Certainly. Certainly. We call ourselves Christians, and we're not acting consistent with Christ, right? We're not lifting his name up. We're lowering his name. So what does the third requirement, third commandment require of us? It requires that the holy and reverent use of our thoughts, meditations, words, writings of God's name, titles, qualities, regulations, word, sacraments, prayer, oaths, vows, casting lots, his works, and anything else by which he makes himself known to us. This treatment will be reflected in holy affirmations of our faith. That's the reflection right? The truth, we're believers, we're Christians. The reflection is that how we act, what we say and do, reflects that. This treatment will be reflected in holy affirmations of our faith and conduct that matches our affirmations to the glory of God and the good of ourselves and others. And so when we act consistently with how God's told us to act, right, we lift his name up, because our words match in our deeds. And not only are we glorifying God, right, and not taking his name in vain, but what else are we doing? It's good for us. It's good for us. Is our motivation to do it because it's good for us? No. Our motivation is because God saved us from our sin, slavery, and then he instructed us how we should live, and we should live as free men because of our position that God gave to us. Our position is that we are sons and daughters of the living king, heirs of the kingdom. So we're going to go quickly through these, then we're going to go slow and break it down a little bit. So question number 113, what particular sins does the third commandment forbid? The third commandment forbids not using God's name as it is required, the abuse of it through ignorance, empty or unholy treatment, that's golly darn gee whiz, right? Irreverence, superstition, or any wicked reference to his titles, qualities, or regulations, or works, blaspheme, perjury, all sinful cursing, oaths, of some comments on oaths when we come back to, to the comment section. Oaths, vows, casting lots, violating our oaths and vows, if lawful, and keeping them if aimed at unlawful things, complaining and quarreling about or misapplication of God's decrees, just complaining about what God's required of us. Like, I can't believe I have to do that. Misinterpreting or misapplying what God has said. God's word or perverting all or part of its meaning in any way. Blasphemy, mockery of his word, pointless arguing, meaningless talk, supporting false doctrines, abusing God's name, his cre creatures, or anything included under his name in the practice of magic to promote sinful desires and activities, maligning, 
scorning, revealing, or opposing in any way God's truth, grace, and actions, pretending to be religious or using religion for evil purposes, being ashamed of God's name or ashamed to it by stubbornly refusing to obey him by living unwisely, unfaithfully, or in any such way as to offend him or backslide away from him. And you think, my goodness, these pastors of old, right? And think about these pastors of old. Um, before the Reformation, it was one church, right? Um, and the church services were oftentimes in Latin. The Bible literally was chained, right? And people said, ooh, that's horrible. Well, it was so expensive. I mean, before the Gutenberg Press, right? Their Bibles weren't readily available, so they were highly val valuable. And who could read? Who could read Latin? Who could read the text? Right? Who could read Hebrew? Who, who could read Greek? But it was translated mostly in Latin. Not many people, right? That's where you get stained glass windows to show pictures of, pictures of things that people could understand. Right? So you couldn't read it. And so all of a sudden, scriptures are everywhere everywhere, which is the precursor to a lot of the Reformation in the tongues of people. And so now that people can read it, all these pastors get together and they're going through and they're, you know, it's the Belgium Confession, the, the Canons of Dort, the Westminster, um, uh, um, Luther. I mean, there's all these different things. There's huge overlap between all of them, but there's some minor differences between them. And sometimes their minor differences are actually major differences. But by and large, um, everybody's seeing it the same, the same way. But they say, how did they come up with this list? You know, is there, is there breaking down the commentary? Because we read the Decalogue, and the words are very simple. But they come up with this big list of what's forbidden. Where do they get that? Remember the common answers of every Sunday school question? Jesus, God, the Bible, right? So they get it all from the Bible. They get it all from the Bible. If you read the Westminster Larger Confession, Catechism, or the Shorter, there's scriptural proof texts by every one of these things, every one of these things. So, and where do they get it? The Bible, stories of the Bible. You can learn lessons about how other people, what other people did right and did wrong as you read the Bible. And so we apply that to us on how we should not bear false witness against God, how we should be good image bearers, that we should esteem his name highly. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. <coughs> I'm, I'm fond of saying there's ditches on both sides of the road and you have to take a look at what road you're on, and are you closer to this ditch or closer to that ditch? And for some of us, we might be closer to this ditch. For others, we might be closer to this ditch. But as we're going through, we have to examine our own lives, look in the mirror, and honestly assess where we're at. All right. What reasons are added to the third commandment? The reasons are in these words, the Lord thy God the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. 
Because he is the Lord and our God, his name must never be treated as unholy or misused by us in any way, particularly since he is so opposed to acquitting or sparing those who break this commandment, and he will not allow them to escape his righteous judgment. Even though many who do break this commandment escape human condemnation and punishment. This is God's promise to us. The Lord thy God and the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. That's a wonderful promise to us. A wonderful promise to us. We'll get back to that and give some more commentary. And, the, and that, of course, is just a quote from Exodus 27. What is the fourth commandment? The fourth commandment. Why are we here worshiping on Sunday? That's the hint. Why are we here? The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall do all your labor and all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God on it. You shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, your animals or the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We'll talk about it in a little, a little bit as we give the commentary, but which ditch are we on with regard to the Sabbath as we look around for broad brush evangelical church in America? Not honoring the Sabbath day versus honor, honoring the Sabbath day. Question 117, how do we keep the Sabbath or the Lord's day holy? How do we keep it holy? We keep the Sabbath or Lord's day holy by resting the whole day, not just from doing things that are inherently sinful at any time, but even through worldly affairs, recreations that are lawful on other days, except for necessary works, acts or mercy, acts of mercy, we should joyfully spend all of our time publicly and privately worshiping God. To that end, we must prepare our hearts and carefully plan ahead so that our worldly business is taken care of beforehand in order that we may more readily spend the day the way God requires. So oftentimes when you're, you're being examined to be ordained, um, you are often asked, are there any exceptions you take to the Westminster Standards or to the Canons of Dort or Belgium or whatever, the Baptist, Baptistic 1819, 19, whatever, whatever it is you're taking, or do you have any exceptions to that? And this is a common exception that many people take. And the exception is that um, uh, is taken out of recreation, recreation. Do you remember the uh, Chariots of Fire movie? Um, made by a Muslim um, from Iran, a very wealthy family that lives in London, controversial because they had a Jew as the star and they were a Muslim family. But do you remember the, that was just free, has nothing to do with this point. Um, what was the big issue with the soon-to-be missionary? He wouldn't run the race on the Sabbath. Right? He wouldn't run the race on the Sabbath. And even at one point, leaving church, he kind of chastised some boys from playing rugby or soccer outside of church. But a common 
exception that people take is recreation on the Sabbath. That said, remember my ditch comment, right? So say the exception's granted, and if, and if, if the Westminster Standards were divinely inspired, <clears throat> which they're not, they're subordinate to Scripture, obviously, um, which means you need to know the Scriptures well to determine if the standards are right or wrong, right? That's, it, it always, when, when anything's subordinate to Scripture and everything is subordinate to God's Word, that means we need to study the Scriptures. We need to know the Scriptures. And even see if their scriptural applications to their points are accurate, right? So if there's a ditch on both sides of the road with regard to recreation, which ditch are we on? Probably too much recreation on Sundays, right? Probably too much, not too little. If it was none, and today we have recreation all over the place on Sunday. I mean, if you don't understand that, wait till your kids are good in sports and when are, when are all the championship days played? Sunday, Sundays. The pressure um, that the Christian church has in Minnesota and around is, well, let's do service on Saturday, or we can just go to church and check it off sometime during the day, maybe Sunday night, and then we'll play sports because we have games and tournaments. It's just, it's just the pressure on recreation on, on uh, Sundays is overwhelming. By the way, which, well, I won't go on that rabbit trail. All right, the next, question 118. Why is the command to keep the Sabbath specifically directed to the heads of the families and others in, in authority? Did you notice that when we read it? Why is that? The command to keep the Sabbath is specifically directed to heads of families and others in authority because the command not only obligates them individually and personally, but it makes them responsible for everyone under them. The command also recognizes that those in authority may be inclined to work themselves on the Sabbath and so hinder the observance of it by those under them. Question 119, what particular sins does the fourth commandment forbid? The fourth commandment forbids failing to do anything required by the commandment or doing it carelessly, negligently, or in such a way as to not benefit from it, right? These are all to our benefit. They're all to honor God, but all these are our benefit. We've made that point earlier. And being tired of keeping it, also treating the day as unholy by loafing or loafing, by doing anything in itself sinful, and by all useless works, words, thoughts about our worldly affairs and recreations. 120, what reasons are added to the fourth commandment emphasizing the importance of obeying it? We talked about it earlier, but we're going to emphasize it again because they emphasized it in 120. The reasons added to the fourth commandment to emphasize its importance are, first of all, implied by its inherent fairness. God allows us six days out of seven for our own affairs and, res and reserves only one for himself in these words. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, God also insists that this day belongs to him. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and there is an example of God himself who in the six days made the heavens and the earth and, and the seas and everything that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Finally, God put a blessing on that day, not just by making it a holy day for serving him, but also by establishing that our keeping of the Sabbath holy will be a blessing to us as well. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. By the way, what does rest mean? You know, these words have definitions, right? Vain, we talked about that. Rest. Someone said napping. Is, is, is that a part of the definition of rest? Sure. Did God nap on the seventh day? No. Did God do no work on the seventh day? What, did, what was God doing on the seventh day? What, what does God do every day? He holds the world. He keeps everything running, right? If, if God didn't do anything, the sun wouldn't rise. God sings the world always. It, it always keeps on going. Do we do no work on the Sabbath? Did you shovel your walk when it snows? Did you start the car? Did you, would you have to hitch your horse and, or would you have to walk to church? You know, if you're in Africa, you walk maybe two hours one way to get to church and you come back, right? So is that the definition of work? So I remember as a little child, you, you know, your definitions are so narrow. And then as you grow in wisdom, your definitions become more broad, I think more accurate, but then, we start to err on the ditch that what we want, how we want it, when we want it, right? As opposed to the narrow ditches. Because you can justify anything. Man is prone to arguments, right? All right, 121. Why does the word remember begin in the fourth commandment, right? You got to, when you're reading the Bible and you see a word, what's it there for, right? What's it there for? Remember, Last couple Sundays ago in Sunday school, I went on about the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? You know, if you were to truncate it now to the average Christian, it's to evangelize the world, not the Great Commission. And even if you state the Great Commission accurately to make disciples, right, it's not accurate if you leave out one thing, right? What's the one thing? On what basis do we, are we sent forth? This is the review, but what basis are we sent forth? Because all authority has been given. All authority means all. All, don't have to do exegesis on it, right? All. So you got to look at every word that's there. And sometimes it's okay to truncate things, but you can't leave out the most important things, right? All authority is given. Now, therefore, go, right? And so remember my commentary on that from several weeks ago is if we just go evangelize the world, Who's on trial? God's on trial. If we go knowing that all authority is on earth and we're declaring that, now who's on trial? The person, whether they believe or not. Because we declare what God has told us to declare. So when a word is there, right? Remember, that's how the fourth commandment has started. Remember, why is it there? The word remember begins the fourth commandment in one respect because it is highly beneficial to remember it, the word helps us to prepare ourselves to keep the commandment. And when we do, it helps us to do a better job keeping all the other commandments. What, do we do, what are we to remember? We've read it a couple of times. What are we to remember? We were dead in our sins. Dead, dead, dead in our sins. We're dead in our sins. And what did Jesus do? He loved us first so that we could love him. He loved us 
the Holy Spirit quickened our hearts, we responded to him, his love to us, and then what do we do? We respond by being better image bearers, we respond by being obedient to him, as he has given us a name. All right, quickly do this, then I'll give some commentary. That uh, kind of summarizes everything, and you can read question one, 121. I want to make sure we have enough, um, enough um, time for other matters. So I'm going to go through some ditches and some uh, review of things. So I love Psalm 29. And this is, if you ever want kind of scriptural proofs, and whenever you say scriptural proofs, and, and the catechisms are filled with scriptural proofs, certain verses to, to, to reflect what they wrote. But you got to always keep in mind it's the full story of the, the Bible. And what is the story of the Bible about? What's the summary of the Bible? What's the, what's the Bible about? You know, you watch a movie, someone says, what's it about? You read a book, what's it about? What's the Bible about? Yes, Quinn? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. And we know that from Luke 24. He's walking on the road to Emmaus, and he reveals what all the law and the prophets had to say concerning him. And when they broke bread, their eyes were open. You know, think communion, right? Think the Eucharist. Right. All the stories about Jesus. So when you're reading the Bible, the Old Testament, that's what he was talking about, you got to see Jesus through it. That's why a couple Sundays ago I was reading from Isaiah, and I said what? The Gospel of Isaiah, right? It's, it's the Gospel. We just think Gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but no, the Gospel is throughout. So Psalm 29, tell me if this fits with uh, the third commandment. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord God and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor and holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Suron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people May the Lord bless his people with grace. The summary verse for that is the second, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. That's what's required of us in the third commandment. And it's, oh, sorry? It's the third commandment. The third commandment. Am I wrong? Third commandment. I'm talking about the third. Yep. So vain doesn't, I'll, I'll tie it in. I mean, they're all connected, right? Sins are like grapes. They come in bunches. It's really impossible to break one commandment without breaking multiple commandments. But remember the definition of vain or misuse, right? 
It's to not esteem the Lord, to lift him up. Literally, it means we need to lift up the name of the, name of the Lord, right? Um, so, children, I've said this before, um, all the ways that we can disobey, right? We can disobey by not doing it. We can disobey by partial obedience, right? Not the whole thing. Substitutionary obedience, right? We didn't do exactly that, but we did something else, right? I won't go with all the, all the ways you can disobey, but the one that I'm talking about here is if you don't do it with a cheerful disobedience or cheerful attitude, cheerful disposition, right? So what is our disposition toward God supposed to be? What's our attitude supposed to be? That's what we're talking about here, our attitude. When we come to church, our attitude in obedience to him, what's our attitude? I got to do this because I was told to do this, right? Because if I don't, I'm going to get spanked. Well, that's all true, but that's God sanctifying us, parent disciplining their child. But these are for our benefit. All right, this is tricky. This is an adult question, right? How did God punish the people of Israel, his people, his bride? How did he punish them for not observing the Sabbath? How did he punish him? Yes. You should know this answer with your name. Sorry? Exile to Babylon. Yep, Jeremiah. Right? For, for 490 years, do the math now, stick with me. 490 years, the Israelites did not follow the Sabbath. So they were sent in exile for 70 years. Who's bright among you that can reconcile 490 with 70 years in exile. And that's the one exile where they knew how long, I see the hand, how, how long they knew they were going to be there and when they were going to come back. Yes, what's the math? A seventh of 490 is 70. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Right? So they didn't, they didn't dishonor them for the other six days. They only dishonored and didn't obey for the 70th. Do you not think that the God who doesn't change is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Do you not think he cares if we honor the Sabbath? Man, it's amazing how quickly you run out of time. Um, so I'll go on a hobby horse, right? You just got invited to the to the inauguration, is that what it's called, of King Charles, right? You just got invited to it, right? Or pick your favorite president of all time who you'd want to be in the White House in America, right? Um, I'll go backwards. Ronald Reagan. You got invited to the inauguration of Ronald Reagan. Would you be on time? How would you dress? What would your attitude be? Every day we come to celebrate the Sabbath, to break bread, the Eucharist, with King Jesus, what is our attitude? What is our attitude? Right? We can go to ditches on all sides of the road. You know, can you do this on the Sabbath? Can you do this on the Sabbath? What is our attitude? I think most fights with families happen in the car on the way to church. 
What's our attitude when we come here? Oh, we got to come here. Believe me, the World Cup, once every seven years, they're playing it at 9 o'clock in the morning, right? Argentina and France, they both won three. This is recreation. For me, it's like, I want to watch it. What about the Vikings if you're a Vikings fan? Well, they play at noon. I got to go quick. I got to leave church. I got to leave hanging out and having fellowship with my brothers and sisters. What's the score? I mean, what's the ditch that we're on? Is it okay to know the Vikings do? Sure. Do I want to watch the game? Yeah. I am so blessed. When I was a little kid, mom would say, turn off the TV. Time to do this. What? I'll never see it again. Right. Now? tape recorded or whatever it is. I can go home and watch it. Don't tell me who won, right? But what's our attitude? Which would we rather do? Be with our brothers and sisters who we're going to spend eternity with? That we get to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords every Lord's Day. You're going to a wedding and a funeral, right? I'll say this at the start of the service, but Advent, right? They're looking. The Bible is pregnant with the pause between the Old and the New Testament. Remember the worst page in the Bible is what? That middle page, rip it out, that's blank. It's one story. It's not two stories. They're pregnant, waiting. It's like a woman, like, two weeks overdue. She just can't wait for the baby to be born, right? That's what they were looking for the Savior. Jesus' birth, Advent, death, resurrection, and this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. What are we longing for? I've said it in one of these four. We're longing for justice. We're longing for God to come and judge the earth. That's what we're longing for. And we're doing it together. Right? When we sing, what's eternal? Music. We get to sing. We have musicians that play gloriously for us and teach us how to sing our parts in harmony. All right, two minutes. I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, our attitude is very important. We need to lift up the name of God. We can't say we're part of the covenant, but be breakers, right? Be breakers. We're breakers of the cover covenant when we're slow to obey, right? Uh, think, think James. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But we can't be covenant breakers. We want to be covenant keepers. That's what the, the Israelites were accused of right, rightly by the prophets all the time. And the people heard what the prophets said, and they didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't repent. But they still were good Israelites. We're chosen. We're sons of Moses. How many of you, right, baptized, wear the name of Christ, and live lives separately, Right? Don't be like that. Have your words and deed, deeds match. This is all in the third and the fourth commandment. You, you should, when, a, when a woman takes the name of a, a man, right, she lifts that name up because women are the glory of men, right? And now it's not uncommon, right, that women don't take their husband's last name. Why? That's a pretty honest statement. He's not my head. He's not my covering, Right? But we bear the name of Christ. And we honor our word to our hurt in Psalms. Um, we're not going to be guiltless. Again, punishment by God. That's a good thing. He's going to sanctify us if we don't lift his name up. Parable of the merciful father. Who knows the parable of the merciful father? Yes, what's it oftentimes called by people who don't know the point of the story? The prodigal son, 
right? Right? Who lifted his father's name up? Who didn't? Right? They both needed to be sanctified. The point of the story is the merciful father. We have a merciful father. We just have to acknowledge our sin. It takes a second to get into sin. It takes a second to get out of sin. Acknowledge your sin and stop the behavior. No, 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 no. Acknowledge the sin and repent. Repent. Ephesians 4, the thief. How does the thief repent? He doesn't stop stealing. Doesn't pay restitution. He has to do all that. What does he have to do? Give to the poor. Give to the poor. Put off and put on. That's the repentance. Um, be doers of the word, James. Uh, James 1, 22 through 25. Covenant keepers are doers of the word. Read James. Very, very pastoral and practical. Uh, we are, I think, out of time. Just keep in mind what the ditches are. What are you prone to do, right? For some people, it's this temptation. For other people, it's that temptation. But when it comes to worshiping God, what's your ditch? Repent. Repent, right? All right, enough said. Let's uh, close in prayer because it's um, I'm already past time. God, thank you so much for the Sabbath and the rest that you give to us. For there's nothing we did to give ourselves life. There's nothing that we did to give ourselves the next breath we take. There's nothing that we did for our salvation. You have done it all. And all we have to do is respond with loving, and be, loving obedience. Thank you for the sanctification you give to us, the discipline uh, of us. Help us to grow and be better image bearers of you, for that is what we are created to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.